Well, let's grab our Bibles. We are in Philippians 1 this morning. We're going to start out somewhere around verse 7. Last week, we ended talking about the saints of Tulare, where Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way, uh, feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart from whether in, I'm in change or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you and share God's grace with me. And we talked about how uh, Paul always starts out his books to the saints of. So we need to consider ourselves saints. If we're believers in God, that's how God sees us. We are his saints, okay? So don't put people up on a pedestal. You put people up on a pedestal, that's when they fall down, right? Eventually they do. And so we need to stop thinking of saints as these people that are all perfect. They're men and women of God, and that's what he calls us. We talked about how we really don't uh, uh, need these little baggies of grace in our life. We need these truckloads. Uh, we need trainloads full of grace on a daily basis. And if we don't receive that from the Lord, it's very hard to give uh, grace and truth to other people around us. We need to get to a point in our lives where we think of each other as saints, that we think positively, and that grace comes out in our interactions with each other. It's very important. Because our tendency is to pull back and some size, sometimes say, Lord, okay, um, um, I'm pulling back here. You need to handle the situation. God's like, yeah, I am handling it through you. Get in there. You're my ambassador. You're the person I have you there. And God's going, I'll give you a little bit more grace here to get you through this tough time, to get you do this. Uh, to get you to do this. And like, uh, like Fred said, it's, it's great to have somebody in your life that's full of grace. So if you have anybody in your life that is, that is just so graceful, you need to look at them and, and, and pray to God that God will bless them because they need that to give that grace to you. Because most of the time we have people running over us, don't we? If we're not careful. You know, because we should act a certain way because we're Christian right? So therefore, we should be a doormat and just let everybody just bowl right over us. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying as you deal with those situations, you give grace as you don't let people run over you, okay? You got you, you to gotta remember God should be in the middle of that. To be able to say, okay, okay, in this situation, it's okay. I just need to give a little more grace. Yet the world says, no, 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 no. You don't allow the world to run over you. And you say, no, no, no. I can, I can get my toes stepped on because God's given me grace here. And I can deal with it how he would do it. The Lord says, okay, you know, it's okay. Your toes may get a little hurt. But I got hurt. I got hurt on the cross. And I took that sin with me to the, to the grave. So therefore... Our reactions shouldn't be sinful. We have the hope of God in our lives. And hopefully through that relationship, when God comes into our lives, the apostle Paul said that when God came through his life, he acted more like Christ because he changed. And that should be us. He says to the church of, of Philippi, you guys have gone through this with me. I have you in my heart. And we talked about that last week. All of you are sharing God's grace with me. And he goes on to say this beautiful prayer, which is really cool. We pick up in verse 9. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best 
and will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul had this deep love, this godly love for others. He always seemed to do what was best for other people. Paul gave this love to others. It amazes me that Paul lived, uh, lived through his life to get to this point. He had this unconditional love that is impossible in this world without the grace and peace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We cannot have unconditional love without God being there because we always have these little caveats. You know, I pray that you experience Jesus in your life and you start treating other people like Paul treated people, which is like Christ treated people. Ever so often I see this meme go around and it's, you know, it's the whole idea of, you know, Paul says, imitate me while I imitate Christ. And they had this lion stretching, you know, and then Paul is represented by a little, uh, by, a, what was it, like a leopard, a little or cat kind of stretching, and then we're represented by this little bitty kitten stretching, all in the same pose. And it's the, it's the concept of imitate me as I imitate the big guy over here. Watch me, and I know you're the little guy. That's okay. That's how we're supposed to be doing it. And that comes through the grace and peace of God in our life. Because I can tell you one thing. I know that I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? None of us are. And people can see how God deals with our imperfections. And then maybe they can see the grace that God gives me. And then he gives me more and more. And I'm able to give that to other people. Jesus is always real. He's 100% blameless. 100% pure. And that's the goal. Paul wants us to become more like Jesus every day. Now, are we going to reach that goal here on this earth? No. But is that a goal that we should be trying to attain, going toward? Absolutely. And when we mess up, we go to God and we ask for forgiveness. And we may need to go to our friend and ask for forgiveness for the way we treated him. You know what I'm saying? Forgiveness comes both ways. The question is, did you become more like Christ this week? Or are you at the same level as you were last week? What will you be next week? See, that's a hard question to answer because we don't like to look inside. We do not like to look into our lives. We want to go, oh, look at them. <laughs> I'm better than that. Oh, man. I know I'm screwed up, but I'm better than that. We want to pull it toward everybody else because that's how humans are. That's the sin nature that's within us. And God's going, now I need to give you a little bit of my Holy Spirit. I need to give you a little bit of the Holy Spirit to combat that sin nature that's in my life or that's in your life. See, we need to deal with other people with the Holy Spirit, not with Alan. Because Alan's going to give you something different than the Holy Spirit. And it needs to just overpower us to allow us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray that our lives bear fruit. 
Paul goes on in verse 12 and says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is a great verse. And if you were from Philippi, and, and if you didn't live during this time, you would go right past that and go, oh, wow, okay, okay, yeah. Life is served to advance the gospel. Good, okay, next verse. But what does that really mean? Well, those from Philippi, the Philippians, they knew exactly what had happened to Paul. And if you want to study this further and go through it, go back to Acts 21 and start from there. We're not going to go cover all of that. But Paul, you know, I mean, the Philippians knew that after Paul's third missionary journey, Paul went back to Jerusalem. He tried to reconcile together with the Christians and the Jews and the Jews that believed in Christ. And then you throw into the mix Gentile Christians. Oh, man. He tried to reconcile all of that. He tried to bridge the, the gap between the Jew and the Gentile. He tried to, to bridge the gap between male and female and between slave and free man. See, Paul felt the calling here. And he was like, if I could just get them to recognize a few things here then these groups of people can come together and it would serve our world. Well, you see what was happening is the first wave of believers were Jewish. And they were all like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're coming from our Jewishness. This is just, uh, you know, it just rolls right into it. And the first group of believers were still considered Jews. They just saw the revelation of God through Christ. They'd witnessed Jesus on an everyday, uh, everyday basis and saw what happened. But the second wave of Jews that came to know Christ was around the Pentecost time. And in Jerusalem, there was over a million people in town during that time. And when the Holy Spirit came, he set upon them, and it was dispersed around the world to the Jews, to, to every nation from Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And then the third wave hit. The third wave was when all these new believers went out to, back to their nations and they started talking about God and how God changed their life and how God was dealing with them and, and, and all the blessings that they were receiving from that, how God came down to this earth through a man named Jesus who was a son of God and he died for their sins on the cross. He was their savior. They were out talking about this. And all of a sudden the Gentiles were like, what? What are you talking about? Tell us about this new, new philosophy. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's not a philosophy. This is truth. And it started changing lives. And they're talking to Greeks and Romans and Italians and Turkish and Africans and Ethiopians and Germans and Spanish and Russian area and the Egyptians all over the world. And Gentiles started to believe. And the Jews were thinking, Whoa, this is getting totally out of control. This is our religion. Our religion, not yours. And Paul's out there, he's just enjoying people coming to God. But the Jews, I mean, Jesus was the Messiah. To the Romans, he was with the real God. All right, he was the real God. And within 50 years, Hundreds and hundreds of churches, places of worship, 
started, and they could not hide that Jesus Christ was their Lord. And it caused a lot of problems for the Jews in Jerusalem. In fact, they were stuck in that first wave. This is for us. They were stuck with the idea of what Jesus came for was the Jews and only the Jews because they were God's people. They were stuck right there. So Paul tried to work this out with everybody. He went to Jerusalem to give them the positive updates about what was going on. And Paul had some friends with him that he brought back from Ephesus. One of his uh, friends that he, that he brought was named uh, uh, Trophimus. And you know, heaven forbid, Paul was seen in Jerusalem with a Gentile named Trophimus or Trophimus. And in fact, it got to the point where Paul had to go through this ritual cleansing and shaving of his head uh, uh, to be able to go to the temple because he was with a Gentile. Well, they just automatically assumed that Paul took this Gentile into the temple, which would have been illegal for a Jew to do. So when Paul was on the temple grounds, what did they do? They attacked him. They beat the living daylights out of him off of an assumption. Have you ever done something that was an assumption and later on you're like, oh man, I screwed that one up. Yeah. This is one of those times where they really screwed it up. The Roman guards saw that Paul was getting beat up and what was going on, and they grab Paul, and they're looking at this old man, and they're thinking, okay, we just got to stop him from getting killed, and they pull him aside. They have no clue who he is, they're trying to figure things out, so they took Paul into custody, and Paul goes, no, 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 wait a second. Let me try to reason with them, so Paul starts preaching to them. He's in protective custody at this point. Everyone calms down a little bit. Paul starts teaching. He starts telling the truth. And then he gets to the part where he says, Jesus came not only for the Jews, but he came for the Gentile. They freaked out. And the Romans, the guards took Paul away. Paul was taken to the same place that Jesus was taken to when he was beaten. But Paul pulls out his Roman citizenship driver's license and says, hey, 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 wait, 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 whoa. No, see this right here? You can't do that to me. I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, no, you're not. He's like, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You know, they're playing the kid game. And they're like, prove it to me. And he starts speaking to them in their own language. He's, he's well-educated. He knew the Roman laws. He knew the rules. And he started to talk to them about this. And they're like, well... I guess we can't beat them. They wanted to beat them, but they couldn't. They guess we got to do something else. Because of all of a sudden, it became an official hearing. They couldn't just whip the guy and find out what was going on. They had to go through the right channels. So they go and they get the Jews together and say, well, what's going on? They get the leadership and they start this official hearing. But during this time, overnight, 40 men had vowed to not eat or drink until they killed Paul. Well, Somehow Paul's nephew finds out about this and he goes and he runs and he tells the guards and they're like, they're gonna kill this guy. 
we got to get them out of town. So literally, 450 armed guards escorted Paul out of Jerusalem. That's an escort, right? I mean, the, think about this. The Roman guards, they had these little uh, metal pegs on the bottom of their sandals. So every time they marched, you could hear it. It was an intimidation factor. It was also a factor where they could grab into the dirt and stuff as they fought, you know. But 450 men with their, you know, marching Paul out of town because they were trying to assassinate him. This is what he says, or what he means when he says that what has happened to me has advanced the gospel. See, the story could get really long here. We could go all the way through the Acts, but Paul ends up witnessing to the governor and to kings and all the nobles. You see, there was two different guys in charge during this time. Paul goes to jail for a while, and, he's, and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And Felix is governor at the time, and he kind of goes away, gets out of office, and Festus comes, and he's the new governor, and this time has passed, and he goes, why is this guy in prison? What's up with this guy named Paul? And during, the time, during that time, the Holy Spirit comes to Paul and says, you are going to witness to Caesar himself. You're going all the way, a free trip to Rome, Paul. It's your lucky day. So Paul appeals to Caesar, and this is the Roman law. Any Roman citizen could say, I want to see the president. And that's what Paul did. I want to see Caesar. Now, what usually happened is it took years before you got to see him, if you ever got to see him. But you were put in prison that whole time. You were held captive. The man in charge, you get to have an audience with him. On the way there, Paul gets shipwrecked. He survives, gets bitten by a poisonous snake. God miraculously heals him, so he survives that, and ends up in Rome under house arrest. Now, Paul's living in this little house under house arrest that he's renting. It's the way they did it. You had to pay to be in jail, you know. They allowed him to rent it, and, and, and uh, that's, you know, he was a Roman citizen, but he was also chained to these Roman guards for a misdemeanor that happened in Jerusalem two years before. We're talking a misdemeanor, a little skirmish, and he's chained to guards for 24 hours a day, waiting for Nero. And the Philippians all this time sent money to him. They're the ones that were renting the house for him because usually he worked and he couldn't. He was under guard. And the Philippians knew this. During this time, there's about 10,000 Roman guards. It was kind of the secret service. And those are the ones that he was, you know, attached to. They protected Nero. And the best way to protect Nero was to do what? Take those that were, were uh, uh, you know, a problem and chain them to a guard. They're not going to get away, right? 24 hours a day, Paul is bound to this big, smelly guard, and they would switch out the guard every eight hours. And you go back and you read the history of the time, and they actually had eight-hour shifts. What a concept, right? It only took us until, what, the 19, you know, 1930s? 40s to figure that out, you know? 
No privacy at all. All the time. You know, there's some things that I prefer to do alone, right? When you had kids growing up, they always came to your room, you're like, get out. This would just bum you out. I mean, I'd be going, Lord, <laughs> why? Why, Lord? Why do you have me going through this situation? Why am I here? But what is Paul's response? Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am chained for Christ. See, Paul has a whole different take on this. Paul's like, praise the Lord, I'm chained to this big old brute, you know? I mean, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be praise the Lord if I was chained to somebody for 24 hours a day. Paul's like, praise the Lord. Every eight hours, I get a new guy that comes in, and he gets to hear me talk about Christ. Every time Paul would raise his hand in worship, the guard's hand would go up. Right? <laughs> Every Bible study. Hey, guys, me Flavius. He's my new guard. Say hi, Flavius. And he raises his arm. The guy's arm goes, that's the way my mind works, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Flavius is here. Let's tell Flavius about Jesus. And for the next two or three or 16 hours, whatever, you know, Flavius gets to hear about God. And many guards come to know the Lord because of it. They became brothers to him through Christ. And Paul is saying, I would have never had this opportunity to witness to any of these guys unless all these terrible things happened to me. Mm. And the Lord spoke to me on this, and it's, and it's kind of like this. Alan, how much do you go through so others can hear about me? Now, it's a lot different than what Paul went through, right? How much are you willing to pay so others can hear about me? What I've done for your life. You see, the Lord takes us through different situations in our life and teaches us about his grace and his mercy to show other people that he can change lives. On this journey, I would imagine Paul asking questions. Did I do the right thing? Should I have appealed to Caesar? Should I have done that or not? Did I do the wrong thing? Maybe I should have just left things alone. You know, God, God, did you forget about me on this journey? And as I'm going through this, God, did you forget about me? Hello, I'm right here. Come on, Lord. I'm chained to a Roman guard. I mean, that's how I would be thinking about it. But the Apostle Paul thought about it completely different. He didn't see, seem so bummed. I would have been like, oh, come on, Lord, what about my goals? Everything that I wanted to do, everything that I wanted to accomplish has been put on hold because of this. These goals seem further and further away. What's going on here, Lord? But we can learn from Paul here. Paul doesn't seem bummed out. He says this in verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
That's amazing to me. He's going, you know, Paul's like, you know, this is good. Paul is just awesome, you know. He's an optimistic guy. But if you knew him from before, that's because Jesus totally changed him. Paul is not always so positive. Paul took a bitter man who was angry, a by-the-book man, a Jewish man who was killing Christians because they were tainting the Jewish faith from his point of view. And God changed him to be more like Jesus. He was out there persecuting the Christians. He was an upper management of the Jewish religion, a bitter man. And Paul's like, totally changed. He's like, this is good. Chains? I, I can do chains. I can do this. I'd be like, no, 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 no. And Paul's going, yeah, I can do these chains. These guys get to hear me, and they can't get away. If they start walking away, I just yank them back to Jesus, you know? And besides, look at what's going on around me. See, Paul began to see how God was using him to change other people's lives. Guards were changed. Families were changed because those guards went home and talked to their wives and talked to their children. Because of what Jesus did with Paul. So we got to look for Christians that have gone through a lot. Christians who have been drugged through the mug, you know, the mud and the muck and the mire and, and just, you know, walk in and go, I'm fine because I know where I'm going. I know what Christ has done for me. And we need to be willing to open up our lives and say, you know what? This is where I messed up because I used to be that way. And look what road it took me down. You know, I had, when I was back in junior high ministry, I had a young lady that came to me and said, you know, I, I, I started shacking up with a guy before I was married and I got pregnant and, and had a child and all this kind of stuff. And, and the Lord worked it out eventually and all those things, you know. Uh, we got married and stuff, but, but I'm not sure if I can open up to the junior high girls and tell them this. And I said, no, no, no. That's what I need you to do. I need you to tell these young women, don't do what I did because I screwed it up. So I went through this hardship, I went through this hardship, and I went through this hardship. The Lord got me through it, but what I'd rather happen is you not go through this hardship, and you not go through that hardship, and you not go through that hardship. We need to be able to open up our lives and say, I have sinned and I have screwed up in this area. Don't do that. Be an example for other people to avoid certain things. Because we can say, I'm fine because of what Jesus has done to me. He's given me the grace and mercy to get through it. Look for those who have changed their life because they have served. They're helping others live fearlessly. If we can be bold, maybe others can be bold. Paul is doing this in Caesar's household for us in a sense. So the question is, where can we do this? Maybe it's our business. Maybe it's our house. Maybe it's our school or our job. 
wherever it is, because Jesus changed us, we can change others. You have nothing to lose in sharing your faith. Nothing. Especially here in California. Because if you're a Christian, they, they already think you're crazy. Right? So you have nothing to lose. It's pretty much all the way, I mean, it's like that pretty much all the way through the country. I mean, just listen to politics. Uh, politics. Don't listen too much, but listen to politics, you know. Whether you're right or you're left, if you're a Christian, you're crazy. So you have nothing to lose. He goes on in verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I, put, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through, our, or through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, this is really weird. Do you know what's going on here? Apparently, there are some insincere people in ministry. Can you believe that? That's hard to believe. I know, I know. Some people have been inspired to serve the Lord, and you can just see it. And then there's other people serving the Lord that you're like, what? Some are like, man, I don't care who gets the credit. This has been a great event, man. Everybody did great. This is awesome. And then there's other people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, yeah, it was me. I put this event on. Isn't it, wasn't it great? I'm great. I can do a great event. And as Christians, what do we do? Paul's going, you know what? I know they're saying it's all about them, but guess what? The gospel is still being preached. That's hard to swallow. Because I know of some ministries that I sit there and go, wow, I would never be involved in that ministry because of what, oh man, that just irritates me, you know? Yet their ministry is expanding and you're just like, what? I don't get that but the gospel is still being preached. That's hard, that's hard to deal with. But we need to be careful we don't go, well, I go to this church because every other church does it wrong. No. I don't like the way they do ministry over there. And Paul's going, you know what? I may not like it either, but praise the Lord, the gospel's being preached because the will of God is not returned void. The word of God is not returned void. God can still use it, even though they may have false motives. Now, if they're not teaching the word of God, that's a whole different ballgame, okay? I'm just talking about those that have the ego to go along with their ministry. But Paul is sensing some hypocrisy in people's lives. And Paul's going, you know what? As we talked about last week, we need less wax. We need less fakeness. 
people need to see the cracks. The Holy Spirit needs to get a hold of us and says, don't worry about that crack, I can fix that. But don't try to hide it with a little wax and a little, little dust that, so it looks like perfect you know, a pottery there. Don't do that. We get mad at each other out of personal conflicts and we start talking. We're like, I can take care of that. And the Holy Spirit has to get a hold of us and go, no, 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 no. Somebody's going to get hurt. Let's not hurt people. You see, Jesus is taking care of Paul's, uh, Paul's nature here. You would think that everybody in ministry would enter into ministry with pure motives. And, and, and we, must, we must check our motives continuously. Why am I serving God? Where am I serving God at? Why am I doing that? We need to start building our lives around something that's called Jesus Christ. Give him the credit where credit is due. See, we can't rebuild our foundation. This is our foundation already, but we can start building our ministries on the foundation of Christ. That's the foundation we need to build on. We need a community that builds relationships, that allows mature Christians that have gone through the mire and the muck to stand up and say, I've gone through terrible times, but look at what Jesus has done with me now. That's the amazing thing, to see how Christians have gone through tough stuff. We need to get to a point where we're so full of joy in our lives, no matter what happens, we're going to praise the Lord, even if we're chained to this big, ugly brute next to us. And we're going to praise the Lord. That's what we should be doing. Because the Lord wants us to change our lives today. He wants to mold us to be more like Christ. And if we allow the world to see the glory of God in our lives, it can change those around us. We need to not look at the negative. We need to look at the positive. Because we get to be more like Christ through the Holy Spirit, not through ourselves. Because we've learned over and over, when I try to do it myself, I usually screw it up. Right? Right now I'm thinking about a car repair, and I'm sitting here going, one hand, I could do it myself but I'd probably screw it up. Do I want to try it? I'm not sure. I might screw it up. But when it comes to our Christian walk, if we do it through Christ, we don't screw it up. God brings us through the other end. It's all right when we get there, right? Yeah. That's what Paul says when he says, you guys have gone through it with me. They knew the history of what Paul went through and they supported him all along. And Paul's sitting there going, because of all of this, Christ is preached to the world. And that is what our focus should be on. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand up and we're going to pray and the worship team will finish this out with the last song. Lord, I thank you for people like Paul that did terrible things in your name, yet realized that those things were not of you. 
and allowed him, allowed himself to be changed through the belief of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for, for those that are in our congregation that we would see our faults, but we would see through those faults and see you and allow you to use those faults in this world to lead others toward Christ. That we have a beautiful gift of grace and mercy that we can give to this world. And I pray that that just shines through our lives. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.